Hey everybody, Jason Vest here, the After Ed Podcast. I cannot believe I'm sitting here talking to you. We are about to launch the 10th episode of the After Ed Podcast with Ben Gilpin. It's just been an amazing ride so far. We're just getting started. Please do me a favor. Don't just listen to the podcast and tell your friend about it. Get on iTunes, get on Anchor, get on Google Play, Overcast, wherever it is that you're listening and leave a review. Let me know what it is that you are enjoying. Let me know what it is you think we could do better. We are here to disrupt the status quo. We are here to highlight those that are doing it. We are here for the kids. I'm here for my own kids. We're here to make a difference. So please, you have to take ownership. You have to take part in that and leave a review, leave feedback because we aren't going anywhere. We want this to be something that lasts and we need your help. Tune in, episode 10, Ben Gilpin. Turn it up. I mean, you know, we'll just kind of jump right into it. I'll I'll hit you with that. So why why are we so reluctant? I mean, you know, you don't want to get, you know, all uh, conspiracy theory and, uh, you know, cynical towards, you know, Congress and our in our country, but if if it's that easy, if it's as simple as you know ditching our testing companies, why are we not doing that yet? Yeah, so it's a uh, it's follow the money, right? And so to me, that's that's the that's unfortunately the problem. You got people that um, that have their hand in the cookie jar and and. They're not going to get rid of. I mean, there's probably some kickbacks somewhere along the line. I I couldn't even tell you exactly what's going on. But um, in society, it's it's follow the money, and wherever the money is, is is who's going to be probably getting what they want. And, and so it's it's not necessarily a conspiracy theory. It's I think we see that throughout society, we just see that old ad of follow the money. Yeah. So do you think it's, you know, what would be the alternative? Let's say that we could get that $16 billion to put towards our teachers and education or, you know, heaven forbid us uh, as educators actually getting to decide where that money goes. Uh, what's, how do we measure it then? What's the next best thing? So you're, so you're talking about how do we still have, how do we still have some accountability of measure, right? Yeah, right. Yep, well... I think there's a lot of schools. I, I actually would think most schools, if not all schools, have something that they're already measuring, using to measure student growth. Mm-hmm. And and so I think that's where we ultimately have to have to start focusing on. We are we we as a society and as a school system focus so much on proficiency. I think proficiency is in the eye of the beholder. I really think we need to look more at growth. And to me, once we once we come on level terms of let's take a look at student growth from one year to the next instead of looking at proficiency, because we all know that students are going to develop at their own rate. Yeah. So instead of instead of being caught up in this in this proficiency piece, let's look at their own growth, and let's take a look at what are schools doing to measure that growth. Now, I can speak from from a standpoint of being the principal at Warner Elementary. We have Fountains and Pinnell. We have NWEA. We have multiple measures that the state doesn't pay for. That, as a district, we pay for. And so then, and that would be to me that there's a simple answer. We don't have to have standardized tests that that would report our data. We could simply take all of that standardized testing money, which is which is billions of dollars. We could put that into the educational system, and then we can just make it a, a district or a local initiative where you've got to report your student growth piece. And the one thing I can tell you from the state of Michigan that is vastly under underutilized is is our um, school improvement data. You know, I, I I look at it as an administrator, it's kind of like a, a hoop that we have to jump through every single year. We have to get online and we have to put in our school improvement information. Yep. Well, nothing really ever happens with that. It just, it, it's, it's basically, we're putting that out there for ourselves. And I think that's where the accountability piece can come in. 
there needs to be, I think, I think um, educational departments. So for, for Michigan, the Michigan Department of Ed, MDE, would have that would specifically be looking at that growth piece for schools. That would be their main that that would be their main department or their main job. Um, and I don't think that's happening. So I think that's that's a fairly easy solution. No, I agree, and that's a great point. You know, we, you know, that that's ultimately what we want is we want kids to you know, to use like a, a coaching sports thing, you know, we want them to get better each day. And if at the end of the year, a, a kid has improved in, in their content area, if they're, you know, if they had behavior issues, and they've had less this year, if I mean, you know, these are, these are things that are really going to help them and benefit them down the road, not, not some score, not some stat sheet in, you know, one game, for instance. So and I, and I think it and I think it also adds more meaning to a teacher. I mean, a, t- a teacher is. I mean, they're going to feel as though they have they have the bulk of the school year to make a lasting impact on a student's growth, rather than a one shot deal on a standardized test that most teachers have no idea what's on that test and really have. I mean, feel as though their hands are tied in, in how to help their students be best prepared. Yeah, I mean that's great, and and you you were just talking about that, and and I just had an idea. You know, what if we, what if instead of you know the whole issuing of grades, and at, at least it, you know I'm a middle school teacher, I'm not exactly sure how you guys do it, but you know, for example, you you give a B at the end of the grade, you or marking period, you put two comments on there that are generic that you pull from a drop down menu. I mean, what if the whole grading process was by a quarter, you know, the teacher actually verbalizing, reflecting on each individual student's growth, and then we use that uh, as the real data um, to, to go along with whatever measures were in place. Absolutely. And, and you really, you kind of open up a can of worms when you talk about grading, because, I mean, grading Grading is such an archaic measure that we do. It's, it's, you know, my my simple belief is, I mean, what does a grade even mean? Yeah. yeah you know, I, I look back at I look back at when I was in school, and and I think that it still happens today, especially at the secondary level, if you're not using a standard based report card. But I mean, let's say you get a let's say you get eighty eight percent. You know, the difference between an 88% and 90% is, is is a pretty small margin. But what, I mean, it, it's really hard to figure out what exactly, what exactly had I mastered in that 88% and what was my deficiency? And is that, is that really the difference between a so on, so-called B plus and an A minus? We know at the end of the day, the A minus means so much more. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just, you know, grades, it really, I'm not sure you want me to get started on grades. Well, I, you know, I'm, I could, I'm right there with you. And, you know, let's actually, yeah, let's. Let's sort of dive into grades for a minute because, you know, I teach this, um, I'm lucky, I'm in Henrico County, I'm the only teacher out of all the great teachers at 72 schools that we have that uh, was able to launch this, you know, innovation class. And it's kind of based in design thinking and entrepreneurship. And uh, it really came with the blessing of, of someone in your position, uh, my principal. And then I just came to him with the idea. And, you know, it, it's really worked out. There's been a lot of evidence present um, and so the pushback that some people say, cause you know, I've, I've had success in this class this year. There are no grades. I get to do what I want. Kids love it. So other teachers, I'm, I'm trying to get them motivated to almost pitch their own course for next year because we all have this common time period of the day where we could do something like this. And it always comes back to, well, the kids aren't going to really give it a hundred percent if there's no grade there, and it's just and you know these these are like really bright people, really creative people, like really wanting to you know make change within their own classroom, and I, it's just really hard to convince people that hey, you really don't need grades if the learning is there, if the kids get it, if it matters to them, they're gonna step up, they're gonna do their thing. Well, I'm, so I'm going to make a bold statement that a 
lot of people probably aren't going to like, but I'm just going to say it. The majority of people in education, education worked for them. Yep. So they don't necessarily want to change the system. Yep. To me, that's the problem. I, I've encountered several amazing educators, but they're not the majority. And out of these several amazing educators, they didn't have a great school experience. So when they come in, they actually want to be the change. They want to make something different. And that's where I start to see these pockets of let's take a risk. Let's try something new. What could the possibilities actually be? And they really look at education as this opportunity. Unfortunately, I do believe that the majority of people in education, education worked for them. So why would we change it? And that's and, and that's unfortunate to me. Yeah. No, that that's that's a really great point and uh, a good segue actually. So you had a a recent blog post I, I saw where you made a comment in there about um, praising the people that deserve. And then stop worrying about fair, uh, I think was, was the yeah. phrasing. So, uh, you know, I, I'm back to your point or, or comment of <laughs> saying things that people may not like. So personally, I, I love this attitude and I would take it like even a step further. And I always say that, uh, and this gets people mad too, that education should be like professional sports. So if you're not contributing, like if you're not a great locker room presence, if you're not the, the person, you know, pulling in 10 catches a game or whatever it is, um, then you become a free agent. So what do you think this would do to our educational system, and would this make it better or worse? Oh, my goodness. I feel like you've been eavesdropping on my uh, boxer conversations <laughs> with some of my friends and uh, and some of my conversations I have with my wife. But, um, <laughs> uh, yes, I, okay, so first off, and first off, there are too many leaders that, are, that try to make it so everyone is treated equal, and I think that the equal is is impossible. So, I mean, just putting that statement out there right off the bat, I think if you try to treat everybody equal, you're going to miss somewhere and you're going to be failing. I would actually say treating people how they how how you feel that they deserve to be treated. So, treating them more more fair than equal. Mm-hmm. But then to take that even a step further is, you know, when you got people that are going to take a risk, they're going to take a chance, they're willing to fall on their face because they're trying something new, that's when leadership needs to stand up and say, yes, that's a great job. And you know what? I know it didn't work out, but, but let's reflect and let's talk about that. What would you do differently next time? And so you continuously try to support and encourage that person that's trying new things rather than the person that for the last decade, they've opened up their filing cabinet, they've pulled out May 7th, and that's what they do on May 7th. Or they pull out their their filing cabinet and they see, oh, you know what, we have uh, Earth Days coming up, I'm going to do this Earth Day lesson that I've done for the last 10 years. You know, those are the things that we have to get rid of in education. We need to have more people trying new things, doing more projects, doing more service learning, doing more things that are really going to push the status quo and really get our kids ready for a new world rather than the things that we've done for the last decade. And that's what I want to praise. That's that's what I want to stand at the balcony and say, keep going. Great job. And and that's where I, I feel like sometimes teachers feel as though. If I'm going to step out on this on this um, proverbial ledge and it doesn't go well, is my is my leader going to support me or are they just going to say, "Well, that was your choice. Look what happened." And I think there's a lot of teachers out there that that are afraid to take a chance because they don't know if they have the support of their leader. Yeah. No, that that's a great point. And so I, I saw also that you you talk about uh, the word fail, not meaning what it typically means according to Webster's but you know this first attempt in learning concept and uh, you know why is why is failing critical to not just the student development but also the teacher development and then maybe like 
why do you think failing has always had this negative connotation to it? And really, how do we remove that in education? Well, you know, when I look at when I look at fail, I really look at what happens after you fail. Because there's, I mean, I, I look at my own son, and if failure spurs you to be better, then failure is absolutely a good thing. But if failure makes you crumble and crawl into a hole and never try something new, then failure is the worst thing that can happen. So it's not the actual it's not the actual fail that takes place. It's what happens after it that's most critical. And and I and I see, especially with our kids today, because I, I coach, I you know, I work with kids on a daily basis. The kids today and I'm not, and I'm not going to bash kids today because I think they're fantastic and they think vastly different than we did when we were kids. But kids today, but by and large, there is a level of when things don't go their way, there's a question mark in what's going to happen next. So I look at so many kids that I've worked with, and I would say the the best way to put it would be, and they're successful, they get even better. So success breeds success. But yet there is a lack of grit. So when they fail, that's when the question mark comes in. What is going to happen when things don't go their way? Do they have the ability to pick themselves back up? Do they have the ability to be um, persistent and, and, and you know, with this resolve of I'm going to figure it out? And that to me is where as the adults, we have to help kids because – that's something I see with our students that's lacking. They, they don't really have the ability all the time to pick themselves back up when things don't go right. Yeah, so you talk a lot about uh, student-centered and whole child. And, you know, unfortunately, I feel like these things have become buzzwords in our field. So what do those really mean? And, you know, we're talking about grit and things like that. How do we truly create those experiences to you know, kind of enhance those needs in the classroom and as in the building as a whole. Sure. Okay, so whole child to me, whole child is that you're, you're I mean, we're obviously, we're going to be more focused. We're, we're not just going to look at academics. We're going to look at the social-emotional piece as well, which which is, is something in our society that is just um, growing at, I mean, mental health is growing at an exponential rate. I mean, I'm seeing more and more mental health issues, not only in our kids, but also in the adults. Yeah. Um, so, so focusing in on the whole child is a really critical piece because, you know, there's the, the saying like, um, you know, to paraphrase, um, you, can't, you can't get to a child's mind until you get to their heart. And, and to me, that's the whole child. You have to, you have to develop that relationship. You have to understand what are their interests? What are their passions? What do they care about? What is, what is something that is going on in their life that is making things really difficult before we can actually teach them? And, you know, I've got, I've got a young guy right now who's having a really tough year. And, you know, I met with him just about a week or a week or two ago. And, you know, I said to him, you know, I just don't see you smile very much. And, and, you know, he, he kind of got sad. He talked to me a little bit about how mom and dad are, are always fighting and the home environment is, is scary and, and how, you know, he wants to move out with his, with his mom, but they're afraid to. And if I'm looking at that and I'm just going, how can how can I expect him to make academic gains when he's going through that in his own mind? Mm-hmm. To me, that's the whole child. That's and you know what the the sad fact of the matter is. You know, I just have one child. I bet every teacher in the country has a child similar to that. Oh yeah. And, and so that's if, if we've got kids, then you know that's it goes right back to our focuses are completely backwards. We're looking at paying $16 billion for standardized testing. And the problem is some of these kids, that, that standardized test doesn't mean anything to them. They just, they just want a happy, joyful home to go home to. Yeah. Um, so that would, be, that would be my whole child approach. And then, you know, you talk about student voice and you talk about the grit piece. 
you know, I just think that the time has come where we have to stop looking so much at at these facts that we try to get kids to learn. And the time has come where, you know, you, you said earlier, you know, entrepreneurial and trying to get kids to be more creative and more, you know, what do they see as a problem? What do they see as, as something that needs to be solved? Um, I was just listening the other day to, to um, a podcast by Don Wetrick, and, and so Don was talking about how there's some students in Canada that are helping in a food pantry, and this was completely 100% student-driven. And I thought to myself, now see, that to me is practical, real life, and you can embed, teachers can embed curriculum into those projects. Yeah. But it, but it takes a complete mind shift by the educator. So it, it can't be, going back to my earlier point, it can't be about the way school looked when we were in school. It has to be completely blown up, recreated. I oh, love it. Uh, and shout out to Don, too. Don's one of the people that uh, really started me on this journey this year, and um, I love what he's doing in his work. And, you know, that's a great great transition here. So look, we're in we're in like year one of our, uh, what we're calling middle school transformation. And we have a lot of great people um, that are really doing um, some big things. I just name dropped them, Courtney Bostain, John Gregory, Rachel Toy. And you know, they get the big picture with, with what we really need to do. So don't get me wrong. But um, you know, it seems though that educators think that innovation uh, and change comes from like having these really cool apps or some kind of software or uh, what I call like Sears catalog toys in education. So how does a school or district ensure that we're not just scratching the surface um, with, to use like a, you know, this cliche like tech for tech's sake? How do we guarantee innovation and change at a deeper level? Well, I think that's where, you, I mean, as a, as a, as a district, as a, as a system, figure out what innovation mean to you and you know it's I mean you just hit the nail on the head you know you bring up you bring up technology and you bring up apps um there's if we are truly trying to prepare students for life in 10 years and beyond then I do believe that technology needs to be a part of that discussion however it doesn't have to necessarily be the focus and what are we doing with the technology? I mean, if I've seen it done before where teachers have, have um, an app or they have basically digital worksheets and they call that technology. I mean, that's not technology. To me, technology is where you're using the technology to, to do something that you're not able to do without. So you're, I mean, you're really, you're coming up with, um, you, you know, maybe you're coming up with wind speeds. So you want to, let's say you want to build a, a, some type of an, an uh, air turbine or something like that to create this alternative energy. And so you're going to use the technology to help figure out, okay, where should we place this? How do we place, how do we help build this? You know, then you're using that technology as something useful as a tool to help build something bigger than, than yourself. And so to me, when it comes to innovation, I just, I think too often we get stuck in, as you mentioned, like an app or we get stuck in digital worksheets. That's not, that to me, that's, that's not technology. That's um, basically transferring. Um, I would love to see, I would love to see across the country more, whether we call it project-based learning, passion-based learning, service learning, to me, you you really try to solve problems through something bigger than just a simple one step problem, and and I think that's where learning can get very messy. And because because as, as teachers, we really have to we have to ditch that label. We're no longer teachers. We become facilitators, and we also, as facilitators, we are learning right next to the kids. Yeah, 
And so that's the mindset that has to be put in place. We have to ditch, we have to take our teacher label and just throw it out the window. And whether you want to call yourself a learner or a facilitator or whatever it happens to be, and then you have to just be able to, to kind of weed through it. And when it doesn't go well, there there's your chance at failure. Are you going to crumble and, and crawl into a hole and say, I quit? Or are you going to say, what did I learn from that and how am I going to get better? Yeah, that that is um... – that's spot on learning with the kids and removing labels. And, and I just have to share with you um, and anyone listening, we we were really smart uh, the other day as a district. And we're in the process in Virginia of um, kind of redefining what kids need to graduate. So um, each locality has an opportunity to create their own profile. And we uh, invited um, ten kids, four of them were in high school, six of them were middle school, and three of the kids happened to be in, in my class to a meeting the other day with uh, district leadership um, and myself and, and a principal or two. Uh, and I tell you, the kids, first of all, they did not need us there at all. They were totally capable of determining what they needed, uh, and it just, uh, and I say coincidentally, but I don't think it was at all that the list that we kind of had of skills that we thought would be necessary for kids were pretty much identical with the list that they thought. I will say what's really interesting is two common themes came out of that meeting. One being, and to talk about your, your label and changing from teacher to facilitator, um, the kids and, you know, a handful of these were in gifted programs, uh, advanced classes. And they said that they wanted to get rid of labels as well and because they were uh, divisive and that we needed um, to be more inclusive as a school culture, as a country. Uh, so I just thought that that was really interesting and powerful that give kids five minutes uh, to figure things out and they immediately go with things that are good for our world. Yeah, so Jason, so you, I mean, you bring up a great point there. So, you know, what do we hear all the time? Well, you know, the millennials, they're so easy. They don't know how to do things. And we hear that all the time. And I say, that is, to me, that's baloney. I mean, they're, they think different. But I, I, I don't think, I mean, I think they, they have an interesting way of, of looking at of problems and, and trying to solve them. And, you know, there's every generation, every, every group has their niches that would be strengths and weaknesses. But the thing that bothers the heck out of me is, you know, as someone, so, I, so I'm 40, and, and you know, I hear from so many people around my age group that, that look back at millennials and go, they're so lazy. And I look at people and I just say, I mean, when we were kids, when we were kids, didn't we have people that we knew that sat on the couch all day long and just ate potato chips? Yeah. I mean... I mean, so don't say, don't tell me that they're lazy because I know people that when I was growing up that were, that were lazy. So it's, I mean, it's so easy to critique another generation. I actually would take it a step further and say, you know, if we want to point to an issue in society, I would look at my own generation as part of the problem because look at, look at the amount of mental health that we have growing right now in our society. And the majority of it is from our youth right now, who are their parents? Right. It's it's my generation. Yeah. That's the parents. So to me, we haven't we haven't hit the mark with parenting, which is, I mean, quite frankly, I'd say that, but um, that's where I would point more of the issue to. No, I, I couldn't agree more, and, and that's a that's a great point. Um, I was. I, Totally unrelated, but uh, I posted a message uh, yesterday, of course, um, with Martin Luther King Jr.'s 50th anniversary of his assassination. And, um, you know, I, I made a comment that, you know, essentially what parents say 
um, at home manifests itself into actions that kids take uh, down the road. So we need to be really conscious as parents of what it is that we're saying because, and, you know, I see this every day. So I teach this innovation class, but I also teach a civics class. And when you start getting eighth graders uh, are giving them a lens to really see what's happening in the world, and you find that it's really hard for them to have independent thoughts and that they're basically parrots uh, for what they hear at home. Yep, yep, and it's especially, I mean, goodness gracious, can we go back to when when the election occurred? Yeah. Um, oh, my goodness, that was, I. you know, I had kids, I had kids getting off of the bus coming into school chanting Trump, Trump, Trump. I mean, they were chanting his name coming in and I'm thinking, okay, you're, you're 10, you're <laughs> nine. Right. I mean, there's no way you're getting that yourself. You're getting that from someone else. And, and so whether that's right or wrong has nothing to do with it. I'm just saying to back up your point, yeah. it is coming from home. Yeah. No, and you know, that's, you know, let's, uh, we're not going to talk about politics, but you know, I think that's, you know, I have, so you said you're 40, I'll, I'll be 33 later this month, and I have two kids that are four and two, and so they're not at the age where, you know, we can really have these discussions yet, but, you know, I'm, so I grew up in this area, so I'm a Redskins fan, and for whatever reason, my dad, like, grew up and uh, was a Yankees fan, so, you know, I'm a Yankees fan, but, you know, that, those are things that, you know, we can impart or pass down on our kids. But really, if we want our kids to be better than us, to be more than us, like we need to share both sides. We need to say, hey, you know what? Uh, you know, this is a Republican. Generally speaking, this is what they stand for. But, you know, here's some arguments against that or for that. And, you know, the same thing with Democrats. And, you know, I just don't think that some parents do a great job giving the other side of the coin. We're, <clears throat> we essentially are, brainstorming our kids to have a closed mind. Oh, I, and, I, and I said I said brainstorm. I meant brainwashing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, yeah, I knew what you meant. Um, it's, uh, um, but I, 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 think what you're, I think what you're alluding to gets into a bigger, a bigger issue. You know, individuals as a society, whatever, however you want to look at this, are we surrounding ourselves with people that will have the same viewpoint or are we surrounding ourselves with people that will give us multiple viewpoints and so that we can then make an informed, educated opinion or decision? And, and what I see, and, and you know, if you want to jump into social media even, you know, I, I see people that typically will surround themselves with people align with their thinking. Yeah. So they're, they're basically, they're inside this bubble. And, you know, I just had a conversation just a couple of weeks ago with an individual and I said, you know, I, I actually encourage pushback because, and I've got, I've got one teacher in particular, she's amazing. And, you know, she, she constantly, she will say to me, um, well, I'm going to push back or she'll say to me that, um, She's going to disagree on something. And then what she'll say to me afterwards is, because we have, because of the relationship we have, I can, I, I can have that conversation with you because you don't get angry about it. You look at it as an opportunity to grow and to learn. Unfortunately, just the conversation I was having just a couple of weeks ago, when I brought up pushback to this person, they immediately said anytime there's pushback, they look at it as confrontation. They look at it as an argument. And I think that's what too many people in society do. They don't look at the alternative viewpoint as an opportunity to learn. They look at it as an, as an argument. No, I, I think you're, you're definitely right. And, you know, that comes to, um, you know, in my mind, that's like a, from a leadership perspective uh, and just a human perspective, that's, that's all ego, right? You know, we don't want to, um, you know, we don't want to feel irrelevant. We don't want to feel out of touch. We don't want to feel like, you know, we don't have control, like whatever it is. But um, yeah, you know, and that was another thing. Like, 
I don't know at what point people become closed-minded, but you know, these these kids that I was referencing earlier, they sat, we did this little fishbowl exercise, and they sat in the middle, and the educators around them just took notes on what they said, but they were so polite and respectful, and they had different ideas, but they waited and took turns and didn't talk over to each other, didn't get mad, and like it's just, so they're between 18 and 13, and they're they're models for how adults need to interact. So what what are we doing to them at some point that just totally makes them just not be able to have discourse? <laughs> yeah. I, 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 that's, that's a good question. Yeah. I, but I do think as adults, I mean, think about it even as leaders. I mean, you, I'm sure, okay, so you're 33. So in your time, you've, I guarantee you worked with multiple leaders, yeah. and without I mean, without naming any, I guarantee that you can you can see some leaders that have surrounded themselves with we'll call them yes people, mm-hmm. and others and others that have that have had people that are willing to push their thinking, and and so to me that's that's part of the problem. We too often in society we surround ourselves with people that tell us what we want to hear. No, I mean you're you're exactly right, and and you know I, I keep referring back to this this one meeting or, or day that we had. But what's funny is that the kids were doing, uh, you know, they were great, and then there were there were two adults in the room that were literally bickering in front of each other to the point where the kids that I teach came up to me afterwards on the way back to the school, and they were like, "Hey, did you hear them two over there? Like they were really going at it," and I'm like. What are we doing here? We're sitting here like trying to be the quote unquote adults in the room and kids like they it just blew my mind that that took place. Yeah. Yeah. No, good point. So look, let let's transition here. So I I pay a lot of attention now to the the future of work and just, you know, where we're going to be uh, in in a couple years, where we're going to be in 2030, 2050, whatever it is. So you know, how how do we start to prepare teachers and kids for the future? How do we start? Um, well, goodness, uh, that's kind of a big, that's, that's a big picture question, which I, which I like. Um, how do we start? I think the, the first thing that we need to start is as a society, what matters most to us because right now I think I think that we I think our educational system really tries to keep really tries to be so balanced that the final product is you come out and you're and you're good and I'll put good in air quotes you're good at everything and I think first off I think that educational system misses the mark. Um, and then what also happens is inside this, we get compared. We get compared what's happening in Finland, what's happening in China, what's happening. And so there's all these comparisons. So the current model is missing the mark. So you've got you've got state after state or district after district that is trying to say, well, we've got to get better at this, we've got to get better at this. And so you keep kind of chasing the tail, so to speak. Yeah, that to me that's 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 a systematic problem, and the way we've been doing things for decades has kept us proverbial the same. You know, I mean, maybe we've made small gains, or or maybe we've fallen back slightly, but by and large, if you were to take this this wide angle look at history, and you would look at the United States, or you would look at state by state you would be able to say, well, they've stayed about the same. And and so we know that what we're doing is is missing the mark. So how do we how do we really change it? Well I really think that it comes down to getting rid of this model that we're trying to be good at everything. And rather rather than good at everything, we build up skills so so we, we identify one of these foundational skills that we really think all of our kids need to have. But then after we get, let's say, 
let's say, to 13 years old. So then when they get to be a teenager, they've built up this foundation of, of skills. And then it really becomes, what are you good at? And if a kid is really good at math, why don't we let them shoot the moon in math and let them be some type of a some type of a um, amazing mathematician in the future, rather than keeping keeping that child on this systematic track that keeps them good at everything? Or what if what if by the time they're in, they're thirteen or fourteen, they have this real passion for writing? Why don't we why don't we foster that and let them shoot the moon when it comes to writing and 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 language arts and, and those type of skills rather than trying to get them to be good at everything. Mm. And so then you're also going to have, you also have this other track where maybe a kid by the time they're that age, they really don't know what they're really good at or passionate about. Okay. We give them this, this multitude of, of this menu of opportunities to help them try to find things that they're passionate about. We give them these experiences and opportunities and so maybe they find it at the age of 15 or 16. But we continue to try to play up to our, our strengths rather than our current educational system almost playing up to the weaknesses. Yes. Because think about, I mean, think about this. You know, in a few years, you're going to have your, your own kids are going to go into school and they're going to get a report card. And you're going to have, I mean, I mean, let's just kind of play this now. Your child gets gets four A's and um, a C plus. Mm-hmm. I mean, the typical parent, the typical child, the typical teacher is going to say, well, you did a lot of things really good, but we really got to work on focusing on getting better. Yeah. You know, why... Why do we focus on why do we focus on the bad? Why don't we focus more on the good and say, you know what, you're gifted in this area. Let's let's just keep going with this. To me, that's where education in the next 10, 20, 30 years, we have to ditch the mentality of trying to make everybody good at everything and let's play up to our strengths. Uh, I I love that you said that and so I think I think middle school, so, you know, at least in Virginia, it seems like high school gets a lot of extra money. They get a lot of extra programs. Elementary, there's a lot of attention and focus on. And middle school kind of gets lost in the shuffle. And I think middle school, there should be, first of all, I don't think there should be any testing in the elementary schools either. But I don't think there should be any testing in middle school. And I think middle school should do exactly what you suggested. It should be a period, three years of exploration, three years at um, enrichment for the areas that they're really good in. And then we have specialty centers here. And ironically enough, we end up basing who gets into specialty centers essentially off of traditional measures. So GPA and clubs or whatever. But, you know, I I think the admission process could be definitely improved. Um, But yeah, you know, I remember in college that um, I knew that I wanted to be a history major at some point, and I wanted to be a history teacher, and yet I had to take some kind of, I don't even remember what it was, and, and math teachers are going to laugh at me for this, but I just remember the problems being written out on my piece of paper, and they literally span the entire page, and I'm like, why do I need to do this? This is not what I'm going to be focusing on, and yet and still, even at the higher ed level, I was told I had to take it. Yeah, isn't that isn't that frustrating? Yeah, it really I, is. I just think it's. I think the system is the system is designed to keep us all together. Yep. That's and that is why, to me, education is fractured. It's it doesn't play up to people's strengths. It just keeps everybody together, and I, and I think that's where down the road that's where we have to see the change. And, and yeah, you know, I I would echo what you were saying. You know, I. I feel like I'm I'm a solid person when it comes to math mathematics. However, some of the higher level mathematics that's not my strength. Yet in school, I had taking math class after math class after math class. When I was sitting there going, you know what, you, I really wanted to do. I wanted to do something in in communications or broadcasting or speaking or or things like that 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 were something that I was really interested in. But yeah, I couldn't take those courses 
because I had to take these math credits that <laughs> didn't mean as much to me. Yeah. That, to me, is a failed system. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And, uh, you know, we, we have to do better. And, and I always use the phrase... Um, moral obligation because the evidence that I've seen from giving the kids the opportunity to be creative uh, for 90 minutes every other day and to have this design thinking model and thinking entrepreneurially, uh, there is no going back. And talking about my own kids, like it's definitely a moral obligation now because um, knowing what I know now and the, the bit of success that I've been able to have challenging the status quo, there is no going back. And, and we really, I think deep down, every single person in education or those that influence it know um, that when they go to sleep at night that we have, uh, we have the need for a huge change. And so I've, I'm always interested and applaud people like you that are doing things to actually make that happen. So I want to talk a, a couple of things real quick about uh, what it is that some things that you're a part of, um, one of them, um, you run a podcast with Brad Gustafson called uh, Unearthed, and yeah. another one, another one, um, I'm, I'm going to sound really dumb, so I apologize to all the folks in Michigan, um, but you're involved with some kind of uh, special interest group administration with MACUL, how do you pronounce that? Oh, that's McCall. Okay. Yeah, McCall. That's the yeah, so that's the um, the technology um, acronym essentially uh, for the state of Michigan. It's kind of I mean most people have heard of ISTE. Yeah. So ISTE is like national, so McCall would be more Michigan based. Okay. Uh, but it would be very similar to what we would think of as ISTE. We would just have it on a state level. Okay, so let's let's start with that, and then we'll come back to Unearth. So, how does EdTech fit in uh, to what you're trying to do in Michigan? And then, in particular, since we were talking about innovation, like how do those fit into what the the overall umbrella organization does? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I was I was uh, along with um, good friends uh, Teresa Steger and uh, Jason Gribble a handful of years ago. Mark Smith had contacted us and and wanted us to really start to bridge the gap between um, innovation slash technology and getting more administrators on board. And, and there, was, there was this huge gap. What we were seeing um, at the elementary level especially, you know, there's a, our elementary association is called MEMSPA. There's typically four to 600 people that attend the state conference each year. But yet, the McCall Conference has, by and large, three to 4,000 people per year, but typically less than 200 administrators. Wow. And, and so there was this gigantic gap. And so Mark had kind of put us in charge of trying to figure out how to get more administrators involved. And, I, and, and that's something that I have a lot of passion in. The, the hardest part in all this is... What I what I've learned in the process is this this extreme balance between managing and leading, and what you have with a lot of um, people is they they want to lead, but they have to manage first. And let's say you've got four thousand people going to a conference, so each building potentially as two, three, four, five teachers that are going to be out of the building going to the conference. Well, the manager slash to make sure all those positions are filled. Plus, if they decide to leave the building, five subs in the building, there's an increased likelihood that something's going to go wrong. So that's, that ends up being where principals end up staying and not going to this conference. So, you know, the, the communication, and that's, that's my essential role, um, and the communications director for our for our admin group is trying to get the word out to administrators about you know what is innovation how you know how do we become more of a leader than a manager and and it's something that um, that actually over the last two to three years I would tell you at times I've been deeply frustrated with and at times I've taken a lot of pride because I see some great steps what I have to come to my own. Um, I guess realization is is that 
this can be kind of a grassroots project. This can be where you have these little small pockets of two, three, four, five people coming on board at a time. It doesn't need to be 300 people at once. And once I come to that realization and I'm okay with like a grassroots approach, then I feel as though things are, are moving more in a positive direction. All right, so tell us about Unearthed. How did you and Brad start this, and really why did you make it a point to do so? Yeah, yeah, um, okay. So Unearthed, um, you know, for several years now, Brad and I, uh, we're on Voxer, and for anybody that has never heard of Voxer, it's a, it's kind of a walkie-talkie app that would be on your phone. Um, so we, we talk on Voxer on a, on a fairly regular basis, um, you know, in a lot of ways we're similar, but in a lot of ways we're also very different. Um, Brad and I are also extremely competitive. Um, I, I tend to wipe the floor with him when it comes to ping pong, uh, and, uh, and playing cornhole or bag. Uh, he's an amazing artist. So he, I have no, I can't even hold a candle on that. Um, but yeah, so we're pretty competitive back and forth and we like to give each other our time and we also, what's great, and kind of going back early in an earlier conversation about surround, who do you surround yourself with? You know, Brad is somebody that will push back on me, and I love it. And I'm able to push back on him, but it, it's we're still great friends. Yeah. And and you know, I've I happened to uh, when he got his doctorate, I happened to fly out to Minnesota. He's been to Michigan with me, um, and so we've we've been good friends for a long time. And what the two of us. For a long time, we listened to Tony Sinanis and uh, Joe Sanfilippo, and they had a brand ed radio show, and it was funny, and it was good, and, and then they stopped doing that show. And so the funny part was that Brad and I, were we listened to the same episodes, and we got the same takeaways, and we said, you know, I feel like we could do something. We wouldn't be on the same topic, but I feel like we could really bring a, a, a voice to education. And he's like, I agree. So we pitched our idea. And, and BAM Radio graciously said, let's do it. And so our main goal is that we try to dive deeper into these, these conversations in about a 10 to 15-minute format, typically about 10 to 12 minutes. Um, you know, right now we're shifting a little bit with Unearth. We're trying to be more leadership-focused um, because we feel as though the more focused we can be, the better that's going to be for our audience. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, but I you know we've had we've had some phenomenal shows you know I look back last fall we had uh, Jimmy Casas on and um, I mean it was you know Jimmy was talking about the willingness to have critical conversations as leaders and you know one of the things that Jimmy said years and years ago to me that has always stuck is we have too much average in leadership and average is dodging those critical conversations average is you're you you don't even want to engage in those topics where where a good administrator a good leader is going to not necessarily enjoy it but they're going to be willing to have those conversations and to me that's that was one of those big takeaways from unearth that really that really brought it home because that's really the the core of what we're trying to do is digging deeper into these topics. And, and you know, Jimmy hit the nail on the head with that one. That's great. Uh, ben, I just I want to thank you again for tackling this big topic of how to fix education and the world. And, you know, I, I did discover you and the things that you were doing. And, um, you know, it, I really, even though we, we just met, um, I really try to surround myself and only uh, put in words uh, in my head and read words on my eyes with, you know, things that people that are doing things to make change happen. And you were definitely one of those, sir. And, um, you know, for that, I, I really applaud you. Well, I appreciate that, Jason. And, you know, I, I, I love what you're doing here. And I, you know, with your, with your after ad podcast and, and, um, you know, the work that you're doing is with, with the innovation class and your entrepreneurial at, uh, you know, I hope I'm saying this right, but at Henrico Schools? Uh, Henrico uh, Schools, but everybody says Hen- Henrico. Yep. It's all good. <laughs> yep, Henri- yep. So, Hen- Henrico. So I love what you're doing there because 
you know, there's not enough people stepping out of the old traditional mold and doing what you're doing at Henrico. So, you know, I, I applaud you for that. And, and um, you know, it's been a joy coming on. You know, I feel like I went down several rabbit trails, but, uh, but I got to tell you, my passion for making the world a better place, and it's kind of like, you know, my wife said to me a long time ago, she's like, you know, why did you get into education? And it's always stuck with me because I felt like I could change the world. Yeah. And and I realized that that's kind of a cliche. But the thing is, my passion comes from wanting to change the world, wanting to make it a better place. And, and I feel like I can make a difference. And as long as I believe I feel like I can make a difference, that's what fuels me forward. If the day ever comes and I don't think I can make a difference, that's probably the time that um, somebody needs to, to shove me out the door. Yeah. So um, it's been a pleasure coming on and, and chatting with you, and and um, I appreciate the, the opportunity, and um, thanks for all you do. Yes, sir. Um, so look, that that was a, a perfect way to, to end it, but I, I've been asking the guests to complete these uh, 10 quick rapid-fire questions, so if you got two minutes, uh, I'll, I'll hit you with these. All right, so look, yep. I, I'm, I stole these from Vogue magazine. I'm still waiting on them to give me some sort of retribution <laughs> or, or feedback or anything, but I'll keep saying their name, and maybe they'll, they'll call me one day. Uh, but again, okay. these, are, these are 10 that I adapted. I do have a couple of my own in here, but uh, I'll start you off with an easy one. So again, just, just try to answer as quickly as possible. Uh, but first question, coffee, tea, or water? Water. Who is your favorite band? Um, well, I'm just going to say I, I really enjoy Ed Sheeran. Okay. All right. It's the artist works too. So if you could sing a duet with anyone, would it be Ed Sheeran or would you switch it up? Oh, goodness. Uh, that carpool karaoke. Yeah. Yeah. I would do that. Awesome. That would be so much fun, even though people would probably turn it off because I'm awful. Okay. So look, you're in Michigan, so a lot of people are going to tune into this next question. Who is your favorite team in Michigan? Oh. <laughs> okay. Um, whichever one is winning. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. All right. Three people that are alive right now that you would like to have dinner with. Okay. I like that one. Uh, that's going to make me think a little bit. Um, okay. Uh, first one, since, uh, and, and I, you know, just to kind of time time concept right now um the masters is starting today and i'm a big golf fan so i'm gonna say jack nicholas would be number one i would love to sit down and have dinner with jack and also at the table um goodness gracious that is a really tough question um i think i would also i'm fascinated i'm fascinated by people in in uh, entertainment and sports um so I would probably include, um, gosh, I would probably include Bill Belichick. Okay. And I think the third person I'm going to throw in, probably throw you for a little bit of a curveball on this one. Um, I would love to sit down at dinner with Tony Wagner. Okay. So Tony Wagner wrote the book Creating Innovators. Okay. And he also and he also is um, most likely uh, to succeed, Tony, right? Most likely to succeed as well. And so I think between Jack, Bill Belichick, and Tony, we would have an evening filled with great food and great conversation. <laughs> I definitely would. So look, you know where. Where would you take them all to eat? So they show up, they're at your house. Where are you guys going to eat? Well, I'm going to have to pick some place that's going to be serving seafood. Um, probably off the beaten path. Um, gosh. That's a hard question. Um, gosh, I, I guess... There's probably a spot I've never been to, but there's probably a little hole-in-the-wall type of a restaurant on the East Coast that serves amazing seafood that we can have a, a beautiful view and great conversation for hours on it. Good enough. 
So what's a book that you've read recently that has positively shaped you? Oh, okay. I want to make sure I get this right. Um, so let me make sure I've got the title for you. Um, I'm actually about three quarters of the way through it right now. Okay. Um, this is this is one of my favorite people when it comes to education and when it comes to just um, life. So the book is called Rising Strong. Rising Strong by Brene Brown. And, and you know, Brene Brown talks a lot about vulnerability yep. and embracing, embracing vulnerability. Um, and so in Rising Strong... Uh, fantastic book about you know how, how we rise from some of the the adversity that we face and how we have to be willing to put ourselves in the arena air quotes mm-hmm. um, and and so I love how he says that but I still you know as I listen to Brene Brown she's real yeah. you know I you know I, I feel as though you know she, and she'll even swear and I love it mm-hmm. and so and so that's that realness that I really I really enjoy from uh, Brene Brown. No, I, I love Brene Brown. I have not read that book, but, but you're right. It, it's it's refreshing, and, and you know, even the first time that you hear her speak or, or see her on a TED Talk or whatever, you can definitely tell that she is real. Yeah. Um, so last two questions, both are about advice. So what's the best advice that you have ever received? Best advice? Um, as you can probably tell from listening to me, talking with me, um, I, I'm a big picture. I'm a dreamer. I'm a, um, you know, I, I really like to see the future, the possibilities, the opportunities. Uh, the best advice is, um, you know, I got from a colleague several years ago, um, find the joy in the, in the small moments. And so sometimes, sometimes I fail to look at some of the small moments because I, I see such the big picture. Mm-hmm. And so the best advice for me is just to kind of slow down and, and enjoy in those moments the best. All right. So I'm an eighth grade teacher. I have 13, 14-year-olds getting ready to go to high school. Uh, what is the best advice you would give for a kid that's getting ready to start high school next year? Well, I'm a high schooler myself. Um, I think the best advice I would give to a high schooler is, what would I tell my own son as a 10th grader as well? Uh, Gosh. Probably, I would probably say to them if I had the opportunity, um, push the envelope. Dream big, dare dare to be different. You know, our world is so full of the status quo that people just don't see that the people that are the most successful are the ones that would be called the disruptors. And so, what I would what I would find my last thing I would say to them is be a disruptor. Be willing to be different, but also develop a strength to be able to get up and knock down because you will be knocked down. That's perfect advice. So, Ben, I know where I can find you and how I found you, but where can everybody else that uh, you've inspired today find more about what you do? Well, um, I'm on a first at Benjamin Gilpin. Uh, B-E-F-J-A-M-I-N-G-I-L-P-I-N and um, that's probably the easiest way Um, I'm also on Instagram I'm also on Facebook but I will honestly tell people Facebook is not my favorite tool Um, and um, yeah I've also got a website Uh, my website is um, bengilpin.com um, and so I've got blogs out there and I've got uh, the podcast stuff. So I'm actually a pretty easy guy to get in touch with. 
And I would tell you that uh, I'm always open to conversations. Love it. All right, Ben, I appreciate your time, sir. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Appreciate you having me on. And um, and again, um, thanks for the opportunity. Hey, everybody. What's up? Jason Vest here from the After Ed Podcast. Look, we are growing. We are having amazing guests on, but we need you to subscribe. We need you to refer guests for the show. We need you to go and leave reviews only to help us get better and spread our message. If you love what you hear with the podcast, head on over to Twitter at Mr. Vest RVA. Instagram is the same name. Give me a shout out there as well. Also, if you want to check out what my students are doing from this innovation class that I always reference, check them out on the various social platforms at Innovate HC. That's the number eight, Innovate HC. Thank you guys. Enjoy your day.